the understanding has always been that the less said about certain things, the better. But then you get so much misunderstanding. What if we started making certain things transparent so that we could maybe get to a new set of problems? Because <laughs> the, these ones are so, so, so old. Do you like books? I'm outlining a new writing project. Who wrote this book? Read it. Do you read it? Sometimes I write something. What are you writing? Have you written anything lately? I'm Amanda Stern, and this is Bookable. On today's show, an American conversation. When do we want it? When do we want it? When do we want it? The United States is undergoing a period of reckoning. But sometimes it can feel like instead of being in dialogue, we're all just talking past one another. Well, our guest today... Thank you. Did you read the book? Thank you. Of course I read the book. She's a black woman who set out to dig deep with white men, colleagues and friends about long-standing and sensitive racial issues. Time for an introduction. I'm Claudia Rankin, the author of Just Us, an American Conversation. Claudia Rankin. Just Us is a blueprint for how to have meaningful dialogue around the way we experience race in America. I don't see Just Us as a prescription, a solution. I see it as a process, an invitation into a process to think about what conversations could do for us in terms of getting to know each other a little bit better. Part of that process included hiring psychologists and fact-checkers to analyze and annotate the conversations, offering an additional layer of understanding. The book was set up in a moment of fake news, in a moment where science doesn't exist, in a moment where there has been so many conversations around all lives matter versus black lives matter. So, you know, deliberate attempts to misunderstand the reality that we're living in. So I wanted a book that was able to bring those things back (laughs) inside the conversation itself. From Just Us, page 23. After a series of conversations with my white male travelers, would I come to understand white privilege any differently? They couldn't know what it's like to be me, though who I am is in part a response to who they are, and I didn't really believe I understood them. Even as they determined so much of what was possible in my life and in the lives of others, But because I've only lived as me, a person who regularly has to negotiate conscious and unconscious dismissal, erasure, disrespect, and abuse, I fell into this wondering silently. Always, I hesitated. I think before the conversation, I thought of white privilege as white power. You know, what what does it mean to to be able to own the space, 
to walk in and be taken seriously, to be the one that presumably um, is the president, is the judge, um, is the doctor, whether or not that's the case, the, the, you know, the assumption is that. And um, so I wondered what, 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 what was that? What, what did it mean to be in the world as that person? Um, once I started having the conversation, I realized that many of the white men I spoke to heard privilege as an economic term. And, um, and that was an education for me because for me, economic privilege comes along sometimes with white privilege, but white privilege really was about just this, this ability to be in the world, um, and to be able to move around without being treated as a potential criminal. Right. And you say in the book that a better expression or phrase might be white living. Exactly. But I, didn't, I didn't know that until afterwards because I, I thought, oh, every time I bring up white privilege, I have to um, listen to a long narrative around how I worked hard for everything I had. And, and I thought, well, we all have. So w- there's a disconnect here. And so then I realized, okay, privilege in their mind is too tied to monetary privilege. Right. And also the the fact that they grew so enraged by the expression. Um, was that what made you think of white power or what tied it to white power to you? Was that rage? Well, I think what tied it to white power was the ownership of space mm-hmm. and place you know, whether or not they owned the space or not, they were always given, given the space. (laughs) Um, You know, we had a funny thing happen in our house where I took the dog for a walk and I forgot to um, turn off the alarm. And when I came back, there were all these police here and, um, and I, I had to put in our code to, to open the door and get in the house. And and then my husband just happened to drive up at that moment, and he's a white male. And the policeman turned to him and said, she said she lives here. <laughs> oh, my God. And <laughs> even after I opened the door, walked in, turned the alarm off, and came back to them. You wow. Know, she said she lives here. So that's what I mean, that they're... They didn't ask him to prove that he lived there. But there was an assumption that this space belonged to him and my claims would need to be backed up. From Just Us, page 141. In the video of the actual incident, he states that he heard the phrase white male privilege as extremely offensive. In the complaint he filed, he states that he was, quote, racially and sexistly slurred. Surely, he must understand himself as white and male, so perhaps it's the noun privilege that enrages him. But a racial slur? 
means you refer to his whiteness in an offensive way. The association of whiteness with privilege, therefore, must offend. It was a, I think, a government agency who went into a police department in order to investigate a line of inquiry around why transgender people um, are approached by police more than other people, you know? And while they're talking about this, uh, a white policeman in the room says that he doesn't know what they're talking about because he hasn't had any interactions with the police in his life. And, and even though he's a policeman, he hasn't had any of these interactions. So maybe it's something about those people that are putting themselves in these situations. And there's a woman, uh, a white policewoman in the room who says, that's because of your white male privilege. That's why you don't understand what he's talking about. And the the man says, "What you know? Like you're 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 accusing me of white male privilege?" And gets extremely angry and stands up and says, yeah, "I can't listen to this." And I was fascinated by this video for two reasons. One, if you listen to the video, you hear what what when she says. It's because of your white male privilege. And so he becomes one in a chorus of men who are saying, wow, what? What's she saying? What? (laughs) And, And suddenly you realize that this woman is surrounded by men who come to the defense of this other guy. And, um, so then the guy, um, files a claim against her and and she's reprimanded um put on leave and the a, a reprimand is in her file to this day for for using the phrase white male privilege and i just found that incredible i mean it's a phrase that describes a dynamic that we have all been subject to in our lives. And yet this woman was being reprimanded for using a phrase. As if it were a racial slur. Yeah. And the interesting thing is I I feel like I, I almost want to guarantee that if she had just said, well, that's because of your male privilege, that he wouldn't have been enraged. He would have probably swelled up and walked around like Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I've thought about this a lot, too, that maybe white privilege and white supremacy seem too close to each other. <laughs> and so maybe they're hearing um, white supremacy when you say white privilege. Maybe that's the source of the rage. I don't think so. You know, I am not technically a member of the KKK. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I think that you're right. I think that, you know, they bristle at, you know, being called white. Yeah, even though they're white. Yeah. That's astonishing. Time for a short break. 
When we come back, what do you say to someone who doesn't see color? Stick around. Welcome back to Bookable. I'm Amanda Stern, here with Claudia Rankin, author of Just Us. When Claudia was an undergrad at Williams College in Massachusetts, there was a rumor going around about a cross-burning that had taken place just prior to her arrival on campus. It wasn't until she was an adult that she really looked into it. I asked this other friend because I just thought, um, how, you know, how many of us actually remember it? Like what? And it turns out just by happenstance that she's the one who discovered it and who reported it. And then in talking, you know, in retrospect, she says, I, I wonder if they regret this. And, and I thought, you know, this idea that white people are not committed in some way, form, to the racial injustice in this country, whether it's the extreme of the cross-burning or the passivity in, in the face of redlining or segregationist practices, um, is this fiction that white people like to hold on to. And so I, I just thought, you know, why, why would you think that they changed at all? Why wouldn't you wonder if they're still members of some white supremacist group <laughs> rather than, you know, why wouldn't you worry? The thing I would have worried is, you know, are they a judge? And it turns <laughs> out that in the research, some of the people who were um, considered prime suspects, they had two students who they considered prime suspect for the cross burning. Those two men are now both judges. Oh my God. Which scares the bejesus out of me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't put that in the book because I didn't want to use their names. I didn't want to say where they, where, where they are because it was not ever fully authenticated. But according to the police report, those were the names. And when we looked up what they're doing now, that's what they're doing now. I mean, it's both terrifying and unsurprising. Exactly. Um, exactly. I mean, I remember guys in my college who were torturing and killing live animals and mm -hmm. are now in positions of power. But never for exactly. a moment did I think, oh, I wonder if they look back and regret that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, I wonder who they're killing. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's not just the men, it's the women too. I mean, if you think about somebody like Linda Fierstein and her involvement in the Central Park jogger case, I mean, that woman sent five kids to prison for an assault she knows they did not commit. Yep. And you say something in the book about children are children unless they're black. Well, the research has shown that um, white people don't consider black children children. 
you know, they consider them on their way to being criminals, <laughs> even when they're infants. I don't know if you just saw, there was a piece that came out recently that said that the um, mortality rate for infant mortality rate for black children in white care, in, in the care of white doctors goes up three times as much. Horrifying. I mean, it's hard to know how they prove that. So I, 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 I'm, I'm sort of interested in the research beyond just the statement. But, but still, it's not surprising. You can see how neglect could play into those moments in the hospital. From Just Us, page 36. The flight attendant brought drinks to everyone around me, but repeatedly forgot my orange juice. Telling myself orange juice is sugar and she might be doing my post-cancer body a favor, I just nodded when she apologized for the second time. The third time she walked by without the juice, the white man sitting next to me said to her, this is incredible. You've brought me two drinks in the time you've forgotten to bring her one. She returned immediately with the juice. Yes, that was, I was on a flight back from South Africa, actually. It was so infuriating to me, but you, you seem to sort of roll with it in a way, but roll it back into the conversation you were having. And I can't recall if this is the same man who was talking about diversity training with you, and he said that he couldn't see color. And, um, well, this the first guy the 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 guy on the the flight back from South Africa he he was an interesting man because what i found particularly um curious in that exchange was his ability to see the sort of inequity <laughs> in terms of her attention um to who gets their drinks but he understood it as a kind of um, innocuous presence of him. You know, like he just happened to get his drink and I just happened not to get my drink. And that's annoying and let's fix it. But he doesn't ask, why did she bring me my drink and not her her drink, you know? So there was no questioning beyond just the reality of what was happening. And and you would think, coming back from South Africa, since we both were, that you might think about how race plays in these situations, or even gender, you know, race and gender. The, um, the, the diversity guy is somebody I have come to know and, and, and like quite a lot. And he and I, on the other hand, started out in a place where I felt a kind of mutual um, ability to talk and explore and think about things and be curious about each other and our families. And so I think that the ease of our conversation is what led him to say, I don't see color. Mm -hmm. Right. And you were so almost playful with your response. Um, can you share with the listener your response? Uh, the, well, when he said, I don't see color, I, um, 
I said, ain't I a black woman? Um, um, because I, 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 you know, how do you say to somebody, that's not true? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's just not true. Um, and, you know, even as I'm in these conversations with these very nice men, there is a way in which, and maybe, you know, maybe this is reductive, but in which my fantasy of how our conversation will be recounted later is that I will be labeled as a black woman. You know, I had a conversation with a black woman. So I had that in my head when I said to him, ain't I a black woman? Woman, aren't you a white man? You know? Yeah. That type of thinking, I can't see race. You know, I've I've thought about that a lot actually since high school. I went to school in the East Village and um and I remember a lot of teachers would say it, you know, I don't see race, I don't see race. And I'd always been like, I didn't understand why it felt wrong. I didn't have the language for it until I was much mm-hmm. older. But now, you know, reading it again and again and again, and most recently in your book, I realized, and this is probably something that's very obvious and simple, but I'm late to the game, is that when white people say they don't see race, I think that they're saying it because they don't see themselves as a race. And so it's like right. a, they have to see race in order to say I don't see race. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a they're doing you a favor or, you know, we're, we're, we're I don't, it's some sort it's of. Like, come over here with me where we have no color. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm allowing you in. It's like, really? <laughs> Right. Or I'm so used to having to do no work, I'm going to keep doing no work while Mm -hmm. being your friend. Right. Because you're not going to hold me accountable because I don't see color. So how could you? Right. And also, um, my ability to speak to you must mean that you're not, um, you're not an irritant inside the system of me. <laughs> so, and therefore, right. Even if I did see color, your color clearly doesn't matter to who you are. Claudia Rankin, author of Just Us, an American Conversation. It's published by Gray Wolf Press and is available now. Bookable is a production of Loud Tree Media. I'm your host, Amanda Stern. Five feet tall, even during intense conversations. We're produced by me, Bo Friedlander, and Andrew Dunn, who also mixed and sound designed the show. Bo is Loudtree's editor-in-chief. Find us on the web at bookablepod.com, and please subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. That's one of the best ways for other listeners to find Bookable. And there's a ton of great stuff on our Instagram. That's at BookablePod. And you can also follow me, your short host, at A Little Stern. Claudia says she learned a lot from her conversations, including when not to have them. I also learned that sometimes no conversation is better. (laughs) You know, sometimes um, you just have to know when... You're not going to get anywhere with somebody 
And that's okay. It's okay to be good luck and good night, you know? <laughs> this is Bookable.